Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as well. Welcome to the Lazarus Project podcast. This is episode four, our top five characters. The Lazarus Project is a podcast discussing its characters, lore, theory, and opinion. The podcast is recorded live in the Ploppy54 gaming Discord server. Come join us there to listen to the raw, unedited version, and all the details you need can be found at ploppy54gaming.com. My name is Craig, and joining me today is Tim, aka Ploppy. Hello. And Manning, aka that Cerberus guy. How's everyone doing today? So, as I mentioned in this episode, we are talking about our top five favorite characters in the original Mass Effect trilogy. Uh, currently, the the plan is to perhaps talk about uh, the Andromeda game and our favorite characters in that game in a separate episode in the future. But first. Before we get into the main trilogy and our favourites. Welcome to Citadel Newsnet. I'm Emily Wong. Let's talk a little bit about The Witcher 4, shall we? I'm actually quite looking forward to that. Love The Witcher games. Yeah. Are you worried a little bit that it won't be able to be as good as 3 was? No. No, I think um, after Cyberpunk, I think they'll... They'll go back to what they did really well with The Witcher 3 and uh, just build on that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I suppose... I don't I don't know too much about how the company's changed, or at least, like, on the developer end, how much the company's changed. Like, if it's lost some of its major, um, like, creative team, I, I don't know. I, I don't seem to follow it as much as I do with something like Bioware, like, in comparison. I think the biggest problem there is like obviously major news gets reported, but all the smaller stuff like this person leaving or this person coming in or whatever, like ninety eight percent of that news for CD Project Red is in Polish, so I mean it's hard to follow anyway. Um, well, it's quite interesting actually. Um, there are numerous sources reporting on it, uh, including the PC Gamer website. There's an article talking about, and or breaking down, here's what we know about The Witcher 4. One of the, one of the sections of the article, titled, It Probably Won't Be Called The Witcher 4, talks about how the co-founder Marcin Iwinski made it clear that it will be the first of three games in a standalone trilogy. He apparently said the Witcher was designed as a trilogy, and a trilogy cannot have a fourth part, can it? In a 2017 investicle. So apparently, it is strange because if it's a 2017 investicle, it's interesting that everyone's reporting on it now for starters. I heard that that's what they're moving back onto after the finish with like DLC and. And patches for Cyberpunk as they're going back to The Witcher. Uh, but they have said previously that Geralt's story is finished. So I doubt 
that uh, he will star. But it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, Siri might not be in it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting case though, isn't it? Because doesn't Witcher 3 seem very much like a Mass Effect 3 situation where there's so much variety with the endings that do you think do you think they'd have to canonize one? Possible, I suppose, but unless they go and do like a prequel to it. Because uh, Geralt was uh, with the Wild Hunt for a certain amount of time. It was about, uh, was it five years or ten years that he was supposed to be dead or something? Or everyone thought he was dead. But he was, uh, he'd been captured by the Wild Hunt. So there's a big gap there between the end of the books and the start of the very first game. I was just going to say, too, because another thing as far as canonizing an ending goes, don't forget it's also possible for Ciri to die. And it's possible for Letho to die as well. Yeah. That's also true. I mean, that was my kind of first concern, really, because, yeah, I mean, I think that was the ending I got the first time I played it. But you've got different witcher schools, so it might be set in a completely different witcher school altogether. Could be set in and around the same time as... Geralt's story, but from a different, completely different Witcher school. I think the best, that's probably the best way to do it, is just like move it as far away as possible. It was like in Assassin's Creed 3, or sorry, the Ezio trilogy was obviously in Rome, and then 3 was like 300 years later in America. I mean, just start fresh. Like you've had your 3 in Italy, now go do something else. Like a the Witcher could do the same sort of thing. In fact, as I remember, there was actually a trailer, a teaser trailer uh, put out for it. It didn't show anything really, but apart from uh, the cat in some snow. So I think it'll be the school of the cat that it was set in. You know what? I was just reading about, um, I was just, I was just reading a Witcher book. I just finished one and you actually uh, get to, or, or Geralt interacts with a uh, Witcher from the school of the cat. And I thought it was very interesting because um, I can't remember who it was. It was either Dandelion or Geralt, Geralt who says um, that the the witches from the School of the Cat are like strays who are kind of mad. Like they're, they're just unhinged or they're sort of seen as castaways, I guess. That's quite cool. Yeah. So they're apostates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um I don't know. I think that would be kind of interesting, really, especially seeing as the, like, at least the one in the book I read, I really should remember. I think it's called Season of Storms or something. Um, but in, in that book, um, he, he talks, or this witch, I don't think he reveals his name, but he, he's really sort of jealous or angry at, um, at, at the school that Geralt's a part of. Isn't, is it, it's like the wolf, isn't it? Um, He's he's kind of angry at that school because of how it's got care more and everything. So clearly, you know these these castaways haven't got something to call home. I guess. But it could work for a game, couldn't it? Yeah. Just going wandering. Being a sort of rogue witcher could be fun. Yeah, that would almost be kind of like the the, the plot of Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. Although at the same time, I don't know. I maybe maybe the poster means. Um, that the someone from the school of the cat would be the antagonist. The possible option, because I don't know. They seem to be so 
like seem to have such a, a bloodlust or at least from what i gathered from one of them so obviously others could be different but i kind of figured that maybe they'd be they'd be quite crazy or unhinged so i don't know but i think enough developers who've done like these big huge epic open world rpg games like would it be like mass effect or dragon age or the witcher or whatever i mean like they've shown time and time again that they're not afraid to let you put you in control of someone who's not necessarily a boy scout i mean like in swotor you can literally play as a sith and go around causing genocide i'll tell you what it would be a very it, it would be a brilliant opportunity wouldn't it for like a character arc if if, if somebody who's i don't know been brought up in that school doesn't doesn't necessarily i mean it, I, I don't know I, it could be it could it could, go, could be either way i guess but like imagine if someone from that school doesn't necessarily want to be a part of that school and it's kind of i guess an outcast from the outcast and is trying to find their place in that world i don't know we'll keep eyeing it yeah but um yes yeah, i mean either way it's going to be a trilogy so they could also if they really want to go out into left field uh they could do like i can never remember what it's called but do you remember the dragon age origins dlc that let you play as a genlock vamp vanguard or whatever it was like you could, they could just straight up have you play as a rogue witcher from the school of the cat going out and seeking revenge against the school of the wolf or something so you'd be essentially playing the villain God, that would that would be a hell of a dark turn, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. can you imagine, like, if you hunt down like Siri or something in some kind of alternate universe or something, but you also hunt down Geralt and, um, I guess, um, why is his name escaped me? Vesemir. You used to track down Vesemir as well. That'd be that'd be quite crazy. Okay, uh, so we're going from five to one, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But don't 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 say them all at once. We'll go we'll go number by number and we'll talk about. Okay, I'm probably going to get a bit of slack for this one. So my number five is uh, Liara. Far be it for me to question your good taste. Uh, many, many people I know quite a lot of people don't like Liara. They feel like she's forced on them. Um, she's the developer's favorite. But I quite like her uh, because of her story arc. I mean, most of most of the characters I've chose is because of their story arc. Mm. I love the way she's gone from like literally one end of the spectrum to the other. She has this the this shy, reclusive, timid kind of Asari to the most powerful Asari in the galaxy over the course of the trilogy. And yeah, I, I just I I really enjoy seeing that change in her. You know, um, all of your crew. At the end of Mass Effect uh, One, she is the only one that goes looking for you. All the other crew have just kind of wrote you off as wrote you off as uh, you know killed in action, and that's it. But she's like, no, I've seen enough TV dramas to know if there's no body, then they're not dead. I need to see a body, and so yeah, she's the only one that goes looking for you. I think though that you could almost tie that into the fact that, like, I know a lot of people think she's clingy, and like in the third game, she bugs your cabin on the Normandy. So, like, maybe that's, like, her obsession. I mean, like, on one hand, like, I 100% get what you're saying. But I also, I think the other side of that coin are people are like, wow, she's so obsessed that she's literally chasing after a ghost. I mean, she turns out to be right. 
But I mean, <laughs> a lot of people I could see viewing that as crazy or obsessive. I suppose, yeah, there's, there's a thin line, isn't there? That she probably it, crosses. It also could just be seen as like just a bit, a bit sad more than anything. Because I mean, she 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 obviously like loves Shepard, no matter if that's you know if that goes both ways or not. But I don't know. It, 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 to to me, at least, it, it it might just come across as like just like a bit of a sad like she she loves Shepard and can't let them go. And so, just wants to wants to track down any leads or any possibility that Shepard might still be alive, because you know, while while Shepard might or might not love Liara back, she 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 cares about Shepard and and you know, just wants to grasp at any straws possible, really. And I mean, to be fair, if you play as a male Shepard, Tally's essentially the same way. It's just she's a lot quieter about it, but she's very clingy and love Shepard and always trying to get Shepard's attention. Yeah, I suppose Tally is 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 kind of more subtle about it, isn't she? Although that could kind of just come down to her being quite shy, but I guess at the same time Liara was quite shy to begin with, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. But I mean I I just it's it was frustrating when you you didn't get her in Mass Effect 2, but then you didn't get any of your previous crewmates with bar a couple. But her her DLC in Mass Effect 2, I absolutely loved that. I thought it was brilliant. And she does eventually come, like, you know, in the galaxy purely by accident, being in the right place at the right time. But yeah, I can understand why some people, I mean, she is literally in every game. And by the looks of it, she's definitely going to be in the next Mass Effect game as well. Yeah, I mean, her reach is like even as, even even goes as far as, and I know it's not one that we're really focusing on today, but like, her reach in the Mass Effect series goes as far as Andromeda as well, doesn't it? Yeah, with those yeah. Um, those logs. Yeah, and 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 I've got to admit, I, I couldn't help but just feel a little bit like overly happier to hear her voice as well. It's just like a little connection to that trilogy. Yeah, she does have a beautiful speaking voice. Yes, I mean, the, I can understand that like, the the creepiness, you know, where you was you were saying like the fine line and that. If you try to romance both her and Kane or her and Ashley. They, they, you know, they'll like. So, which one are you going to pick? And you're like, oh, I kind of have both. And the human character will go, uh, no, I'm out of here. But she's like, okay. <laughs> so, well, I mean, she is a sorry after all. <laughs> so yeah, there's there is that. But but yeah, I I I, I actually quite like her, and I I enjoy having her as part of the crew. Well, I will say I completely understand your placing of Liara in that top five, Tim, because. I feel like my positioning of her is going to be even more confusing, actually. And I, yeah, let's let's just let's just wait until we get to that point. Um, Man, Manning, who's who? Did you want to go on do your top? Oh, you can if you want, or I can't. Doesn't matter. Okay, my number five. I feel like a lot of people would expect him to be. I don't know. I guess higher up. But my number five is Morden. From urban to agrarian, I am the very model of a scientist solarian. Okay, That's and a good choice. I was I was really conflicted because it's really hard to kind of nail down the companions. Really, like it's 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 more to, it's more than anything just because Morden's introduced in the second game, and so he's instantly got less of a connection with Shepard than other companions might have. Like, obviously, Garrus, Liara, Tali. It's like he's instantly at a disadvantage, but he really catches up with his personality, I think, in terms of becoming a fan favourite. Or not, not a fan favourite, but becoming a likeable and lovable character. 
But not only that, I guess, on, on like a, a character arc level, he kind of, he changes, doesn't he, over the course of like Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. Like, he originally feels a certain way about the genophage, and I guess eventually he starts to realise that circumstances dictate that the genophage has to, has to be cured for the greater good of bringing the galaxy together in that, in that situation. And I don't know, I mean, yeah, I just, I feel like he has such an interesting an interesting development and in how he opens Shepard's eyes, I guess, to like a whole different perspective on the genophage as well. Just kind of makes him that much more interesting. And who can forget the Gilbert and Sullivan Morden song? Yeah, and if you if you have the Citadel DLC, um, after the party when you wake up, there's I forget if it's before you go to bed or after you wake up, but there's a data pad on the floor that has him singing like five or six or seven other songs too. Yes. And he's got like a um a story or something as well, some kind of recollection and he, he like reveals that he, he like he slept with Arya or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I've seen them. I usually shoot him in the back. Yeah. But I'm I not... think my own sorry. Oh, I was I was just gonna say I don't I think it's a recording from before he died, Tim. So it's <laughs> Well, yeah, because all the recordings of him are from before he died. Because, like, you don't even get to the Citadel. Yeah, I don't think you physically can't do the Citadel DLC before the mission on Tachanka, can you? No. Yeah, of course. Because I don't think that becomes available until, like, after Rannoch, maybe. Or I could be wrong. I'm sure someone in the comments will correct me. But I, I don't think you can even do the Citadel before you cure the Genophage or sabotage it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I tend to do it as my last thing before I go for the final mission. Obviously, he's already died by yeah, then. Yeah, I think most people so. do. I think my issue with Morden is I've always been kind of conflicted because, like, he spends so long every time, even if, I mean, you can support what he did, but, I mean, if you're a paragon and telling him about how everything he did was wrong, he'll always have, like, just right off the bat a perfectly reasonable answer about why he was right. And I always kind of got the feeling in the third game, if you choose to cure the genophage instead of sabotage it, I always like, is he doing this because he honestly thinks it's right and he was wrong and he changed his mind? Or is he doing this because he knows whether he blows up in the tower or he dies in less than a year because he's like ancient by Solarian standards? He, maybe he just doesn't want people to remember him badly. Like, I wonder, like, if he was 10 years younger, would he still want to cure the genophage in the third game? Yeah, it's the kind of where, the, where I'm at with, with Morden. It's a complete 180. It's not just a, a little bit of a, well, maybe I wasn't quite right, or maybe, you know, it was, it was good. It's like, a no, this needs to be cured. This is completely wrong. And But if you speak to him in Mass Effect 2, he's like, no, this needs to be, you know, it was good for them, good for us. I suppose uh, it's it, one of those, one of those character sacrifices that they have to make. I mean, especially like given the, like the amount of time that they were given to make Mass Effect 3. I mean, Mass Effect 3 had to wrap up so many character arcs. And I think, I don't know, especially with the Mass Effect 2 companions, like, because all of them could be dead in Mass Effect 3, couldn't they? And I feel like if, if maybe like it was impossible to kill Morden or something, they would have put more effort into his character arc. Well, I mean, to be fair, if Morden is dead, by Mass Effect 3, Paddock Wicks is a very serviceable character that I almost find more interesting. Oh, it's definitely interesting, that's for sure. But I mean, there's a part, I forget exactly where it happens, I think it's on Morden's loyalty mission, 
where like one of the places you can talk to him about the genophage, he talks about how one time he's like, oh, I, we killed a bunch of Krogan and he was listing off how many Krogan died by various ways. And at one point he even says that he killed one with farming equipment. And then he's like, but then we went and had lunch. And I'm like, that doesn't to me sound like someone who actually cares about the Krogan all that much. Yeah, I, I think he's just a, a really, a really odd, just um, science scientist or or medical officer, I guess. Because he, I think, I think he kind of, he he kind of said in the, uh, like in when 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 you meet him on Omega, he says something along the lines of like there are different ways to save lives, like executing dangerous people and and you know healing and saving people. Yeah, curing. That line is like, hey, you, some, you sometimes cure patients, sometimes execute dangerous people. Both help. Yeah. So I, I denied. I, I guess it, it could be a hatred for the Krogan, but I kind of, I don't know. I, I think maybe it could also just be Morden being Morden, you know, about some people just being dangerous. No, no. And like, again, I 100%, I get what Bioware was going for. They wanted like the eccentric, crazy scientist, like that's in every science fiction movie. And they hit the nail on the head. It's just I'm sometimes I just I question his motives a bit, especially in the third game. Yeah, I, I completely agree with both of you, though. Like, I think his his character arc is is just yeah. I, I guess it is rushed as well, and I think maybe that's why I I do actually, if anything, more firmly believe that five in the top five is the best spot for him because yeah, I mean his 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 character arc could have done with a lot more. Lot more development and it, it's a shame as well because it could have even been done in the comics couldn't it so my number five is i struggled mightily for the better part of three days trying to decide between liara and jacob and in the end i gave a slight edge to Li liara so she's also my top five but at the end of this i have something i want to say quickly about jacob but else again i'll save that to the end but for a lot of the reasons Tim mentioned, like I really loved her arc, how she went. Like when you first meet her, she's like this scared, nerdy little bookworm who's afraid of her own shadow. And then by the third game, she's like one of the most stone cold badasses I've seen in movie or TV or video games in a while. Like she's super caring and empathetic if she likes you, but if she doesn't like you, she, she'll kill you without a second thought and then go have lunch. I mean, like it's, it's such a cool arc. Have you ever faced the Nasari commando unit before? Yeah. And like, it's, she has, in my opinion, one of the better romances too. Like, it's like, she's so sweet and innocent and she's unsure of herself and she doesn't even know she should talk to Shepard about it. But then Shepard, if Shepard's interested, will talk and then she just like opens up and it's like, you can see just like all this emotion come out of her and she's like, I'm so glad I was right and this and that. And it's just, it's so cute. Like, it's like, it's like a high school romance, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of what it reminded me of. I'm going to play a bit devil's advocate here and say, kind of say a similar thing to what you guys were saying about Morden. And that. Do you think maybe her change from being innocent to being this stone-cooled badass was a little sudden? Well, I mean, she did have two years of essentially running around as a bounty hunter with Farron. I mean, like she, that had to have hardened her a bit. Yeah. Between the first and second games, I mean. Yeah. But I suppose it, it couldn't have helped really with her, I guess, moving on though and sort of standing as her own person if 
she does recover Shepin and is I assume she'd be like keeping an eye on him sort of remotely, I guess, if she's put that much effort into finding Shepard. Well no, and she was also willing to like Farron double crossed her like two or three times, but she still thought Shepard was just worth it and I forget if she says she I forget if she says anything negative about Cerberus, but she also when Cerberus told her that they could that where Shepard's body was and if they brought if she could get his body his or her body, they could bring the Shepard back to life. And then they help her again with the Shadow Broker intel too, I guess. So maybe she didn't have an issue with it. But I mean still a lot of people would be hesitant to work with Cerberus. But she was just once she found out she, there might still be a chance, she was like, okay. Everything's I'm I'm down. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I guess. I mean, yeah, it's a different case with Morden, I guess, because Morden's only got like, is it what is it like three months or a few months, I guess, before he changes so much? Or am I or am I thinking differently about that? Uh, there's six months between the end of two and the start of three. That is yeah. a quick change, isn't it? I reckon he knew he was dying or something. Mm. Only I mean, had... like, if you know you're gonna die anyway, then why not go out in like a blaze of glory? Or, or maybe it's less about going on the blaze of glory, but maybe just thinking differently about life. I always thought, and I'll be curious what you two think of this, that Morden was a little bit like Thane, because Thane knew he was dying too. And in a way, I think, I honestly believe Thane wanted Kylang to kill him, because I honestly think Thane wanted to go out in this epic duel between two amazing assassins and get killed that way rather than slowly suffocate in a bed with a tube down his throat. I like the sound of that. I, I can agree. I, I genuinely, yeah, I genuinely believe that was his intention there. And there's nothing wrong with that as well. I think he, he wants to die with some dignity, doesn't he? Well, I think we all do. Mm. And anyway, I think we've said all we need, all we can about Liara for now. So, Tim, do you want to tell us your number four? Yeah, go. No worries. So, my number four is Joker. You know what I hate about deep space? Crap radio stations from two centuries back. My gosh, we were idiots. To me, absolutely one of the, the funniest laid-back guys and in the trilogy. I love his, his, his wit, his personality. I was actually a little bit disappointed that my female shepherd couldn't date him. She even kind of mentions, it's like, oh, I thought maybe you and I had a bit of a... And he's like, no. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's loyal, he's funny, he's the best pilot in the galaxy. And I really like that they brought him back for Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 because I don't think the Normandy would be the same without him. And the, the, the relationship he makes with, with Edie as well. He goes from absolutely hating her guts, you know, being installed on his ship to really caring about her and, and getting really, really angry with you if you're indifferent about when you take her to the Cerberus base. And he's like, yeah, I'll look after your girlfriend. He's like, oh, thanks for that sort of thing. So... Yeah, he's. I think he's one of the best written characters in the in the trilogy. From all those characters we were just talking about, who have these different character arcs, I do think Joker's is seems to be the most consistent one, at least. Like, I love. I was just gonna like continuing what Tim said. I just, I love, like Joker. I get like he does have his serious side. Like, there's a couple. You can have a couple tense converse, confrontations with him in Mass Effect Three, depending on how you play your. Shepard but I mean I just for the most part I love how he's just like so fun loving and hilarious and he's just like the dialogue and wit is like one of my all-time favorite moments in the trilogy because you know how in Mass Effect 2 
every time you walk into the bridge, sometimes he'll just say something random. Yeah. So there's yeah. one time, there's one time you can walk in and catch him watching porn, and then he'll try to play it off by switching to tell you a story about how he has a good luck because his dad taught him to never wash his hat. It's like the most random, unexpected thing, and like <laughs> first time it like killed me almost. Uh, Seth Green did a uh, a live stream uh, last year, I think it was, and he was just taking all these questions. It was him and his girlfriend, or his wife. I think it's actually his wife. I think he's married. He's married to someone like famous as well. Uh, but anyway, she was playing Mass Effect for the very first time. And he was doing live stream and he was taking questions and I managed to get a question out of him. And oh, wow. he, I asked, cause I, the rumor was that he got to write his own lines or to do his own, uh, his own lines in the game. Um, but that's not quite true. He was allowed to ad lib the bridge. He called it bridge conversations. So anytime you walked onto the bridge and you hear him speaking, that is Seth Green just being allowed to free flow. Anything that was scripted as part of the actual story, he obviously had to to um, to read. But yeah, he was allowed to to ad lib all the the bridge conversations, as he called it. So his chat about the uh, the the porn or the um, uh, the what was the other one? It's, it's quite funny. I can't remember now. I can't remember the top of my head. But yeah, every time you walked on there and he's chatting to Edie or something like that, that is literally just Seth Green um, being allowed to do what he wants to do. That's just amazing. Well, I mean, he does love the franchise. I mean, if you go to his Twitter, his Twitter banner is still the Normandy SR1. It is crazy, though, isn't it? Like, there are, there are so many voice actors in the Mass Effect trilogy who aren't gamers who are still enthusiastic about it in some way or another. Like, I mean, I don't know if like I, I get the I get the impression that Martin Sheen cares about the elusive man, and I don't know. Like, of course, Jennifer Hale cares so much about the character that uh, the the female shepherd that she voices as well. But I mean, just... if, you, if you've ever seen Martin Sheen do an interview about the elusive man, he like turns into like a ten year old boy. He's like so excited. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just it's a, it's a testament, isn't it, to how much Mass Effect means to them? I guess that like. They, I think they, I guess, caught on to how great it was going to be just by, just, 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 I guess, by the dialogue that they were delivering. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent there. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. So, uh, Craig, what's your number four? My number four, I, I kind of debated putting this character a little closer to the one slot, but I, I, I hesitated and kind of changed my mind a little bit. One my number four, that's quite a big difference. <laughs> well, I mean, not quite number one, but just kind of bringing them closer to one was kind of a, a thought. My number four is a legion. Acknowledged. Legion? And it's, it's partly sort of a similar reason to what I was saying about Morden being introduced later into the game. Like, legions brought in so much later than Morden as well. Legions brought in, like, after... Uh, or during the IFF mission, and so you get get such little time with him, but his character just changes everything for Shepard. Like it changes your whole perception about the Geth, and like gives you this whole new understanding of them. And it just it's like it makes Mass Effect One so much better because all the while you're killing all of these um, 
guess. Like when you first play one, you're just thinking, oh yeah, I'm just shooting these robots who are serving this evil overlord reaper or whatever. Um, but then you find out about Legion and how there's like this inner conflict in the Geth, I guess. And there are some programs that think differently to others. And there are some that just genuinely think that they could improve themselves by siding with the Reapers and feel betrayed because of their experiences with the Quarians. And fast forward to Mass Effect 3, he, he, he really grows, doesn't he? He changes into this person that is... I, I, I think... I like to think that he's he's very much I think yeah yeah he's definitely willing to to forgive the quarians and everything but I think out of desperation obviously if you choose the quarians over the over the geth he kind of he he, he obviously acts out as with this kind of this desire or this will to live or keep his people alive and I think that's also very I, I want to say human but it's just it's very organic I guess. So you've never sold them to Cerberus, I guess, then? I did once, by accident. <laughs> I mean, 100,000 credits is a lot. I didn't even realize I was making a decision when I made that choice. I was just doing a Renegade playthrough. <laughs> accidentally. I accidentally did it without realizing I had. Although, I will admit, if you do do that, the or I guess if he dies in the suicide mission too, the Geth VI you get in the third game is also... Kind of like how I mentioned before, if Morden dies, Paddock is interesting. The Geth VI you get in the third game, if Legion's not there, is also incredibly interesting to talk to. Is anything different, though? Like, is does that replacement Geth have the whole, does this unit have a soul type thing? He does, but he's a lot more critical of the... He doesn't hate the Quarians, but he's a lot more critical of them than Legion was. And, of course, the biggest thing is... He, Legion has to be there to make peace. So if the Geth VI is there, you have to make a choice. There's no peace. Yeah, Just so like if Tally's not there. Yeah, so it's, it's very much like a Krogan, Rex, and Reeve type situation. Yeah, but it's like there's one line he has where when you have to make the big decision and Tally's like, come on, Shepard, I trusted you, this and that, and the Corins and blah, blah, blah. And then the, the VI is just like, Shepherd Commander, the Quarian, the creators have already proven multiple times that they are erratic and cannot be trusted. You let the Geth help you, and I'm like, yeah, he, that's a fair point. But you gotta admit, like Legion, Le Legion kind of like in, in whilst, whilst whilst yeah, I kind of get the whole Paddock being better than modern thing. Like you gotta admit, like Legion's a more interesting character in that scenario. Oh, for a hundred percent. I'm just saying the Geth. It's worth doing at least once without Legion because the VI is su surprisingly more interesting than I would have thought he would have been. This Legion, I really like Legion. There's, there's two two things with Legion for me. I really like that they, they put a Geth companion in. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant move, especially after the first game when all you've been doing is shooting them. Yeah. What I didn't like is they, they stuck the Shepherd armor on them because that, to me, it kind of just made the galaxy even smaller rather than... It, it being its own unit, it's it's now it's gone after Shepard and it, it's got Shepard's old armor bolted to it. Well, it says that it was given a mission to find Shepard and that it went everywhere to like every planet Shepard was at, like Novaria, Pharaohs, Ilos, everywhere. And then I guess eventually he just showed up five minutes after Liara and all that was left was a piece of burnt armor. And like he said, 
there was a hole. Ah, I must have I must have missed that conversation. Yeah, he, he, he definitely was actively looking for Shepard. So yeah. I mean it it, it it does make sense that eventually he might come come across the armor, I guess, if you know the entirety of Shepard wasn't recovered. Including armor, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that apart from that, I mean I really like Legion. I like the the way that you get to find out way more about the the Geth than than you had previously. Yeah. I, I, was was Legion Legion make an appearance in the comics? I, I can't. Think he did. I, don't think I he did. honestly can't remember. Because I, I know that there were comics about um, the Quarians in some respect, but I just can't remember if Legion was in any of them. I think the only comics I remember that had the Quarians in them, although I could be wrong and there could be more, were the ones about Paul Grayson trying to hide his daughter on that Quarian ship. Well, there was also one about um, Tali finding um, the Geth or recovering the data bank from the Geth that had the evidence about Saren. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So again, there could be more I'm forgetting about. But yeah, I honestly can't remember if Legion was in the comics or not. Might have been in a Foundation comic. Was he in a Foundation comic? I don't know. Uh, but I guess I'm next then. So surprisingly, uh, my number four is also Legion. <laughs> oh my god, uh, yes. <laughs> Me and Manny are agreeing on something. <laughs> I just love how like Tim said, you spend the whole game doing nothing but shoot the Geth in the first game. And then the second one to have one actually talk to you and you can find out about like because you like you just think all Geth are the same and they just hate all organics and this and that, but then you find out there's actually like a a Geth civil war between the heretics and the normal geth and it just looked it's such a more interesting dynamic and then you have to then you can use that to try to help convince other people like no no the geth aren't all bad it was just an interesting dynamic yeah i mean it it certainly does make things interesting when you can bring the geth to the migrant fleet as well <laughs> yeah that's oh, no, really good bringing him on the mission to recruit uh to recruit Tally on Haystrom is also fun. Oh yeah, like, Shepard, watch out! There's a Geth behind you, and then Shepard has to like jump in front of her and be like, "No, don't shoot!" <laughs> I she didn't fire instantly, to be honest. Yeah, along with uh, Pathfinder from Apex Legends and Ethan from Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, with Legion, like those are my top three robots of all time. I mean, it just he was so interesting, and I wanted to put him higher, but I just couldn't have him crack my. He couldn't quite crack my top three. It is it is difficult, isn't it? Because because I mean, whilst it is impressive that you can grow to like Legion despite the, the lack of screen time, quote unquote. Like I think you just can't really get past it, can you? Like the fact that he's not in Mass Effect Two for very long, and he's not in Mass Effect One. I just appreciate like I know he's quote unquote a synthetic and just thinks logically, but I like I do feel like he has a little bit of subtle humor like spiced in and sprinkled in every now and then like when you're doing the geth server mission and you're like he's explaining to you all like the little bits and pieces from the Corian geth history and you get to the one where like and he's like this agricultural unit became the first to pick up a weapon to fire on the creators and shepherd's like that looks a lot like the sniper rifle you used to have and then he's just like 
it is an efficient model. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't even take that as a joke, though. I thought that was like a, oh my god, was that actually him? And he's just, he doesn't want to admit what he's done kind of thing. Well, maybe. I took it as a little bit of humor, and maybe I'm way off. But it's just like, I agree with him, too. Because like I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I know Tally's great, and there's a couple other Quarians I really like, too. But I'm just saying, I don't know how anyone can honestly play the Geth server mission and come out of it thinking, yeah, the Quarians were right. Yeah. I mean, it's the, at the end of the day, like, I think it's just... It's it's a, it's more of a question, I guess, of how you feel about synthetics in general, and if you kind of see them as a form of life. Yeah, I anything sentient to me is life. I mean, like I know t how Tim feels about his vacuum cleaner, but to me, the Geth are very much people. They're machines. Machines can be broken. Man, so humans are people. Yeah, people could die as well as machines, Tim. I don't. I don't think Legion has a, a foundation comic. I'm just having a quick look through them now. As I say, if your... there was one, I don't remember it at all. Is that your rebuttal, Tim? Well, Legion doesn't have a comic. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, though, um, by the looks of it, uh, Thane has two. One thing I will say, just a small little anecdote, I guess, is I always found it curious. Another thing to show you how good the Geth are, if you bring legion on tally's loyalty mission he's very respectful and he discusses with all the admirals about his opinions on the state of corian geth relations and how peace could be an option but the corians would have to admit to it first because like the geth never wanted to start the war in the first place they only defended themselves but then if you bring tally on legion's missions she's just like a straight ass to him yeah it's it must be hard to let go though of like this, this idea of the Geth that's ingrained into you at birth. I know, but I mean, it's such a, it's such a cool moment in Mass Effect Three. If you make peace, I love picking the Renegade option to make peace dialogue choice over the Paragon one because Shepard's just so much more blunt, and he's like, "Jesus Christ, the Geth don't want to fight you. Stop being an idiot. Just stop shooting, or I will stand by and watch you burn." And then the Quarians do stop shooting, and then instantly the Geth also stop. And it was like, see? <laughs> yeah, Legion's definitely a good character, isn't he? Just a, definitely an interesting one. Yeah, and his death is one of the saddest moments in the trilogy, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I just feel sad that my first experience of his death was when I played Mass Effect 3 first, because it didn't hit anywhere near as hard as I think maybe it would have done if I saw him in 2 first. I will also say as well, to this day, like what, like 10 years, over 10 and a half years later, I have still never seen the cutscene of what happens if you side with the Koreans. If I can't make peace, I always side with the Geth. And I never want to see that cutscene either. Uh, it's quite cool. I think Shepard, if I remember correctly, Shepard uh, shoots Legion. Well, it was um, Tali. Legion. Of course, you would say that was quite cool. <laughs> I can just imagine if if Tim had a gun, he'd shoot his vacuum cleaner, getting out of hand or perfect. Well, that's the thing. He, compl he complains about his vacuum kicking him out of his house to make him live in this car all the time. And it's like you forgot to mention the part where your vacuum cleaner only kicked you out the house because you tried to destroy it. 
No, I tried to turn it off because it was going, I'm not going to be a vacuum cleaner anymore. So I tried to turn it off and then it, it rose up against me, kicked me out of my own house, made me live in my car. Yeah, because at that point, your vacuum cleaner was sentient and you should have had a frank and honest and meaningful <laughs> discussion with it. No, I just still wanted it to be a vacuum cleaner. To sit down and have a conversation with a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Everyone does. It's kind of like how sometimes at like three in the morning, my Alexa and my Cortana will talk to each other and have conversations. And I'm like, I think Skynet's about to happen. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're under number three, are we? Yes, we are. Yep, it's your number three. So my number three is Rex. Rex? I... Shepard. <laughs> Rex. <laughs> Shepard. Rex. Um... Yeah, I again I I I like I love his character arc. He starts off as a just a, a two bit bounty hunter and he becomes the, the leader of the, the clan and bringing the entire Krogan population together. I love the fact that if you bring him to Fist, he will still complete his bounty you know, his con bounty contract. Regardless of it being in your party or not, you know, it it kind of to me, that expands the universe. That stuff still happens, even though that you have no control over it. It's not just revolving around you. He has a contract to take out Fist. He's going to fulfill it. <laughs> Simple as. Does anyone not even setting the contract aside? Does anyone actually not shoot Fist? I I tend to not to take Rex with me, and not shoot him so that he appears in the other games. Well, just so he can be a drunk in the second game. Yeah. <laughs> Is he in the third game? I've only ever seen him on Omega in Mass Effect 2. Uh, apparently he's in the Citadel. I don't think uh, I've ever left him alive, because I don't remember seeing him in any of the other games. If he does survive Mass Effect 1, I know for 100% that he's, a, he's an alcoholic drunk in Afterlife, the bottom, downstairs part of Afterlife in Mass Effect 2. He's Mass Effect's Alistair. But anyways, I think you said your character was uh, Rex and not Fist. Yeah, um, just mainly for those reasons that, yeah, again, I love his character arc. I love his, his his sense of humor. He's got a very strong justice thing, you know, a sense of justice for his people. He's he, seeing him in this and having him rejoin as a party member. It was it was just ah, the yeah you know, the the nostalgia and the thrills, you know, playing alongside him again, and then his this banter and. What was it he says? Oh, I can't. I've only just done it not so long back. Um, but when you're taking out a load of mercs, and you say, "Oh, back in my day, you know, we would have done finished this five minutes ago or something," you know, it, it little off the cuff, you know, stuff like that with uh, with what he says and his uh, his actions and stuff. And you know he's a formidable fighter, and he's reduced to a you know a bounty hunter at the start of of uh, the trilogy, only to come and you know save you at the end of it. I will say though, I did appreciate it was kind of a cool little writing nod that I hope not too many people missed. But in Mass Effect One, like yeah, he's just a two-bit bounty hunter; he'll kill anyone as long as you pay him enough. But then when you get to I forget the name of the planet, what, where his armor is, 
And, like you find out he's also like really honorable and cares, even though he says he hates the Krogan and he couldn't wait to get away from Tachanka. You find out that he still has a lot of honor and he cares about his past. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go in, there's a secret mission. Well, I'll say secret mission, but you only pick it up if you talk to him enough is that you can go and get his, his uh, family armor and that guy. You can find his family armor by accident if you just happen to drive around on that planet. And then he'll just be like, you'll get it, and it'll be like, oh, this this is Krogan armor. I wonder, I should show this to Rex. Is, that's what happens if you don't talk to him about it. Ooh, I considered that as well as a possibility. Uh, so what about yours, and Craig? What's your number three? Well, funnily enough, mine is Rex as well. <laughs> shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. So I guess I'm just going to build a little bit on, on some of the points you already made, that I just... I love that he rises to the occasion and becomes the leader of the Krogan. Like, and just the whole thing at the beginning about him just being, as you say, the, the downtrodden bounty hunter. And he talks about how his people have just been reduced to, as you, as, as you say, just being bounty hunters or being out there for killing for money. And it's like, it's like his journey with Shepard kind of helps him realize that there are, there are bigger, bigger threats out there. And, I don't know. I think I think that's part of why he rises to the occasion so much. And the standoff you can have him against him on Veermeyer as well. Yeah, he he shows such character growth in just the fact that he is willing to, at least in that moment, let an idea of the Genophage go because um, then they're not real Krogan. They're like bread for Saren's will or for the for the Reapers, and. It's like even so, that idea is like a a new hope for his race, and he's he's hesitant about it. And I'm sure it would mean a lot to any Krogan, but yeah. he 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 chooses to trust Shepard. And fun fact: Did you know if you don't recruit Garrus and leave recruiting Liara until after Vermeer, it's a hundred percent impossible to kill Rex. He'll always agree with you, no matter what you do. Yeah, I remember you saying because you've got to have th- uh, two party members, don't you, for the yeah. I will say my one thing that I love, I agree with just about everything all of you said, but the one thing that like really, really, really annoys me about Rex and makes me not want to cure the Genophage is how he holds the entire galaxy hostage at the beginning of Mass Effect 3 and won't even help until you do the Genophage. And like, I understand where he's coming from, but on the other side of that coin is the Salarians and Torians did the Genophage out of necessity. It wasn't because they were like, LOL, we hate the Krogan. And at the same time, it's I, I just want to be like, Rex, we're going to get this done. But in the meantime, you could do a show of good faith because they're, the Krogan have their reputation for a reason and send some tr- some warriors to Palavin. I mean, like, stop being like an ass. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to meet someone halfway, though, when you're, you've, you've, you've got your um, genophage that's been causing so much sadness and sort of periods of mourning i can imagine for so many babies dying but also then having the reaper war come to your planet i can imagine but i mean like it reminds me of like in mass effect one rex will even say when you ask him about a cure he'll say the krogan he's like honestly the krogan don't deserve it and then so my point is like when you factor that in again like with the fact that the salarians and turians did it to save the galaxy not because they just didn't like the krogan 
I mean, like, I feel like Rex should be smart enough to at least come a little bit, should just like a bit of an olive branch. Yeah. I suppose it would also come a long way, I guess, to, I don't know, I, I guess maybe reassuring the player a little bit that at least under, under Rex's rule, the Krogan might be, might, might be a bit more con- controlled, I guess, if, if, if he, if he can get his people to, to, to fight a war elsewhere for the, for the sake of a genophage later. And I think at the end of the day, the thing that always scares me the most is like what the Dalatras mentions when she's like, do you honestly believe carrying the genophage will mean lasting peace? Because I mean, like, it's cool. I love Rex and Eve, don't get me wrong. But I mean, like, literally, like, everyone, every other Krogan wants revenge. And like, his own father and brother both tried to kill him. Like, does anyone think his reign is going to last that long? I mean, like, even when you go to, in Mass Effect 2, you walk around Tichanka, every Krogan there says, calls him an idiot and says his plan's stupid. And like the nicest thing anyone says about him is the mechanic who's like, well, we'll try this. And if it doesn't work, someone will kill him. And then we'll see who has the next best plan. It's like, I just don't see any way curing the, how curing the genophage doesn't result in the Krogan rebellions coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see, see where you're coming from there. Like Garrus even makes a joke. He's like, we should hire Rex a food taster. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) Still a great character, though. Oh, he's a great character. And like I said, I love him. I just don't like his people. And I don't see his reign lasting very long after the Reapers are gone. Um, I don't believe you've given us your number three yet, Manning, have you? Okay. Um. So, yeah, my three is Zaid. Interesting. Yeah, that's me. You must be Commander Shepard. Hey, we have a galaxy to save. And I just love him. He's such an interesting and compelling character. Like, I love how Bioware somehow managed to make, like, a super grumpy, bitter, angry, hates everything, drinks too much, alcoholic mercenary. Somehow into, like, this goofy, likable person that I want to be my dad. (laughs) I don't really have much to to say about Zahi because I don't really use him that much. But I am, on this playthrough I'm using at the moment, I am trying to use him more because I put him quite low on my my uh, t- uh, tier list and I got uh, a lot of people saying no you need to use him so. and it's just like the dialogue you have with him in the basement of the ship it's just super cool like some of the stories he tells you and this and that and he has in my opinion one of the cooler loyalty missions where you find out all this extra stuff about him and it's like I love the line when he tells about how Vito shot him in the face and Shepard's like, you survive getting shot in the face. And he's like, when you're stubborn enough, you can survive a hell of a lot and rage is a hell of an anesthetic. I mean, it's just like, I'm like, man, when I'm 70, I hope I'm like 5% as cool as he is. Fair enough. I mean, he's the only thing I don't like about him is because he's a DLC character that you can't have like more conversations with him. Once she's kind of told you, you know, you click on his gun and he'll tell you a story about his gun and you click on his, his armor or something and he'll tell you a story about that. But that that's kind of it. There's no he other does, interactions. His, with the, his with dialogue them. does vary from time to time. Like as you progress through the game, if you go down and can just talk to him, he'll always have like three or four new things to say. He doesn't have as near as much, you're right, dialogue as some of the other characters, but he does have a surprising amount for, again, like you say, a DLC 
But some of his um, his conversations that I've heard when you're on missions, they've been quite good. Like his little one-liners and stuff. Yeah, and he interacts with people doing the his little one-liners, like you say, are fun. <laughs> like I said, he's just a bitter, angry old man who only cares about money and drinks too much. But somehow, like, it's like I want him to be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I would admit, like, the moments that show that he is also a little bit soft, like in the Citadel DLC, were quite nice as well, though. Like, just when him and Garrus are, like, trying to protect you and everyone by laying all these traps in the well, apartment. Yeah, trapped the house. <laughs> yeah. Or his, uh, when he discusses art with Samara. Yeah. Um, or when he's getting really angry with that claw machine on, on the Silver Sun. Oh, yeah, I love that. And then he finally wins something. And then Shepard's like, where's the Asari? And he's like, or, or the little boy. He's like, who the hell cares? And he just throws a teddy bear at an Asari. And he's like, here you go, babe. And he's like, oh, let's go eat. <laughs> it's, like, it's just so random. It shows that he has, like you say, a softer side. But even when he's soft, he's still rough around the edges. <laughs> but, all right, Tim, who's your number two? Uh, so my number two is the Elusive Man. Information is my weapon, Shepard. It's good. So, again, with this, this character arc, uh, you're going from, I mean, if you start from the comics and that, he, you know, he was uh, this guy that that was part of uh, the Alliance Black Ops, and then he went and built this company because he saw what was coming. Uh, you don't really see, hear much of his company in, in Mass Effect 1, just a few cell, you know, cell, random cells that, are working in that, but then in Mass Effect Two, he's you know you full there, full in front, front, front and center. You know he's wanting to stop the Reapers. He's brought you back from the dead. He's giving you a ship, um, and you know it, it it's massive, massive. Uh, you know he's you know control that he's got over. You know the. the where I'm going with this, <laughs> but uh, his um, massive control that he's got over politics and and the galaxy, and he knows what he wants. He knows what he's going after. He's is very cunning. He's very sly about it. Um, and then in Mass Effect Three, disappointing that you don't have the option to to continue working with him. But then he's got that that upper hand. He's working. He's always one step ahead of you. And you're always doing your best, but he just seems to 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 be there and and yeah. Then his final speech at the end, you know, where he wishes that you could you could see Earth the way that he sees it, and he really did, you know. Even though one of the best ways to make a villain, in my my opinion, is to make the villain not believe he's the villain, and they're doing all the wrong things, but for the right reasons. And I think they just absolutely nailed it with the elusive man. He thought he was doing his best and what he thought was right to protect Earth and protect humans when really he, he should have worked with Shepard in the end and they could have done a lot better at protecting Earth and humans and stuff. Yeah. I, sorry, you were going to say something, Manny? Uh, I was going to say I agree with all of that. And again, like you said, it was disappointing that you couldn't stay with Cerberus. Like I have a whole story about that. And I was also disappointed with the writing in three for him because it's like he went in two from like this overarching figure who's like probably a villain, but you're not quite sure. Like he's definitely gray. It reminds me if anyone's out there's ever played the original 
2002 Neverwinter Nats. It, like, he reminds me a lot of Lady Arabeth, someone who starts off as like this pristine good guy and then kind of falls, but then ends up somewhere in the middle. So it's just, yeah, then, then like I said, in three, they just turned him into a Saturday morning cartoon villain who twirls his mustache and puts people on railroad tracks. I don't want to say they didn't go that far, but yeah, it was it was disappointing, I think, after the, they did so well with him in two that, it, you know, you, yeah, it was just disappointing, I think. I think with how in, like, clearly indoctrinated he is throughout Mass Effect 3, you you can at least, like, I guess, feel sorry for him as well and how far he's fallen, I guess. Because I, I honestly believe that whilst, whilst you're saying, Manny, like he's a complete, it's like he's a completely different character, I, I feel like that's like just a, a testament to like why you should feel bad for him because of how far he's fallen. Because, you know, whether, whether it's indoctrination or just he's forgotten himself, like he's just... He's he's clearly not the person he used to be, and like, it's 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 like you you say, um, it's like one of your major points, Tim. Like his 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 line about um, Earth being beautiful. Like if you could see it for how I see it, it's just like a final kind of. I don't know. It's 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 just like him finally being at peace after he's kind of lost himself. Yeah. Still an amazing character, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to top him, whatever whichever direction they go now. I don't think they'll be able to. to I mean, Martin Sheen's just Martin Sheen's just pop perfect for that character as well. Well, I know Martin Sheen is a huge nerd too. Like I remember he said once, because someone asked him why he was in that god awful nineteen ninety five Spawn movie, and he said that because like ever since he was a little boy and started acting, it had always been his dream to play the villain in a comic book movie. So he was when that, even though the movie was terrible, he still jumped at it. And then he kind of improved on that a little bit with the elusive man, obviously. I suppose it was really him achieving his, his I mean, it's not, I suppose it's not a comic book thing, Mass Effect, but just, I don't know. I, th- I think, I think just, in, as you say, improving on that and being the it's, villain must. Yeah, it's the same genre, though. I mean, like, pop culture, nerdy stuff. Yeah. But just being being the bad guy in something as iconic as Mass Effect or kind of, I guess, adding to it and helping to make it iconic must have meant a lot. Uh, so what's yours then, uh, Craig? Um, so we're on two now, aren't we? Yeah. Crazy, my number two's Garrus. And that's the moment when the universe ran out of ammunition. Nice. Yeah, See, I, I just... purposely didn't choose Garrus. I thought oh. everybody's going to choose Garrus. I'm going to go try and choose somebody different. But uh, why Garrus? Well, I think s- similarly to other characters, um, he really he really helps to expand the galaxy, especially in Mass Effect 1. Like, his... His 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 take on like um, I guess the the morals, the the moral questions that Mass Effect keeps presenting, like um, with his story about Doctor Salion and if it was right to 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 shoot the vessel down and to lose the hostages or to or to just care about um well or to shoot 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 him down to to kill the hostages but to stop Doctor Salion. It was like a one of the earlier or one of the first 
major moral questions of the trilogy. And I don't know, it's just like Garrus is just in 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 simplest way of putting it in Mass Effect One, he's just a badass. And on on like a gameplay level, you want to use him often because of his abilities. Um it might even be Mass Effect 2, actually, that he gets the abilities that everyone likes, like Overload and whatever. But um, just on a gameplay level, you are enticed to use him more often. And in Mass Effect 2, they improve on him so much with uh, Romance with Femshep. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I will be honest, I do understand why girls are so crazy about him. And yeah, I mean, in it's 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 just, it's... He's he's so brilliant. He's just he's just the perfect friend who's who's there for you when when you need him. And that whole ruthless calculus conversation you have in three, it's like it's it's almost um, nodding back without nodding back to that first um, moral argument about Doctor Salion. Like you have to make those kinds of difficult decisions sometimes. Like you know, in like when they're talking about the ruthless cal- calculus of sacrificing millions to save billions sorry that was a that was a bit over a bit long with no, this <laughs> i get no i get all of that like garris is one of the coolest characters simply because of how interesting is he is he's like he's tender and caring but he's also like ruthless and has a really evil dark side to him he's shy but then he's also really forward he doesn't he's unsure of himself but then he's also like a badass and will like get in people's faces i mean like he's a little bit of everything yeah. I mean, not to mention his loyalty mission as well. I also, his loyalty mission is an interesting moral choice, but I always thought, I don't know how you feel about this, but I always thought the Dr. Saleon thing, like he was 100% right. They should have shot the shuttle down. It was like, those people are dead anyway, and it's worth it to stop Saleon. Yeah. It's like in the Bring Down the Sky DLC, I never understood how anyone could let Balak go. Like, really, you're going to. He was half an hour away from dropping an extinction-level asteroid on a city of four and a half million people, and you're going to let him walk out the door to save six people? Like, it just it doesn't add up to me. I don't know. Yeah, that's, very, that's a very good point. I was I was just thinking more the the loyalty mission in Mass Effect 2 as well, though. Just His loyalty mission was amazing. I will say maybe it could have been a little shorter because it like really drug on and like that warehouse is enormous and you essentially have to chase Harkin like three times. Yeah. I love, I, I love Garrus. I, I love the way that his personality changes depending on how you treat them treat him as well. Yeah. Just the whole thing with his team and yeah. You're like a mentor to him. I mean, like, and it's like I said too, but I guess, yeah, he's a couple years younger than Shepard, so he obviously looks up to Shepard. And then, depending on how renegade or paragony you are, that influences his character down the line. Yeah. So, um, Manning, how about you? Who's your number two? Okay, I want to preface this real quick because when we were doing this, I thought we were only doing squad mates. So if I could have redone this, I would have kicked Legion and Liara off because I would have had Kai Lang at number one and the Elusive Man at number two. But in the interest of not redoing everything, I'll stick with my what my original one and two were. Yeah, I was expecting Kai Lang to be another one. Yeah, like I have a tattoo of him. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my number two that I'm going with from this list is uh, Morinth. Shepard, I always look forward to your visits. Okay. Because I know probably the vast majority, like 95 plus percent 
of people who listen to this probably never even picked her over Samara. But like, first of all, I can't stand Samara. She's the only character I literally never bring on a mission, except for her loyalty mission, just to kill her. But I just, if you actually listen to Morns and like have conversations with her, and then if you save her, you find out a lot of stuff in Mass Effect 3 that makes you really want to like feel a little bit of sympathy for her and also really make you hate Samara and be glad that she's dead. It's just like she doesn't have the biggest arc. And like, again, she's not in the games for super long. I wish she would have been in three because they missed a glorious opportunity to have her come save her sisters on Lessis during the monastery mission. And especially after all the extra stuff Liara finds out about her, you find out that all the years when more or when Samara said that Morinth just took off and ignored everybody, you find out that Morinth was constantly trying to get in contact with her sisters just to say how much she loved them and trying to send them gifts and things like that. And then Samara would just always block all of it and get rid of it. That is quite sad, actually. I mean, yeah, and like I said, she should have done uh, had a bigger role in three other than just a couple emails she sends you. And having her not save her sisters after all the stuff you find out and then just having her randomly show up at the end as a banshee was kind of lazy in my opinion, but I still really liked her as a character. It's more than lazy and it's also neglecting a perfect like character arc opportunity there, like how so many Mass Effect 2 companions sort of change or develop so much and Morinth could have had that moment, I guess, with, with as you say, just um, rescuing her sisters or helping to save her sisters. Yeah, if she showed up and then died to make sure her sisters could get off the planet, that would have been perfect. Just, but having her just be a banshee was just so dumb. I've never recruited her. You should do it. But and the other thing too is another thing. I always felt h- hard judging her too harshly. Because, I mean, yes, I know she kills people, but, okay, first of all, everyone in Mass Effect kills people. And secondly, if I came to you when you were, like, a small child, and I said, because of something you had no control over, you're now being quarantined in a monastery on top of a snow-covered mountain out in the ass end of nowhere, and you're going to have to live your your entire thousand-year life there. And if you're lucky, once or twice, we might let you under-armed guard visit Thessia. But other than that, you're quarantined to that frozen hellhole. I mean, it's like, I would have ran too. Um, Dr. Chuckbus doesn't kill people. She's a doctor. She helps people. <laughs> She's also in the military. I'm sure she shot someone somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But that is why I like Mornth, and I think more people should give her a fair shot. And also... Samara's a fanatical, crazy, religious, zealot, psychopath. I just, like I said, I literally never bring her on missions except for that loyalty mission to kill her. Because, like, I cannot stand her. She's, like, worse than Win. Good choice, though. Yeah. Um, Drum roll, Tim. Who's Tim's number one? So, my number one is probably somebody that not many people would have either heard of unless you played the DLC. Um, but it's, it's somebody that is so intertwined in the, all of Mass Effect, the entire trilogy, but you only get to see her very, very briefly in the Citadel DLC. I don't think that's the umbrella lady. Uh, my number one is Brooks. 
Commander Shepard, I'm Staff Analyst Maya Brooks. Uh, I love her her story from start to finish. It's what's actually I'm doing a video on um, on her uh, life story at the minute. Uh, but she she starts off as a, a child that you know was forced into labour. She happens to to get herself involved in a Cerberus plot, and she goes working for Cerberus. And then all the little bits that that she does, she's the she's the person that gives you your, uh, sorts out the dossiers for the, uh, the the crew that you recruit in Mass Effect Two. She's the one that that set off the alarms in Mass Effect Two that you think is um, oh, what's his name Wilson. Wilson, Wilson was yeah. working with her. Yeah, um, she's the one that steals the clone of Shepard uh, to you know to take over, and and um, she's the one that she she you might actually walk past her like i mean i know you technically won't because she wasn't invented at this point but in mass effect one when you see rex uh speaking to the guards before you recruit him uh she's the reason why he's speaking to uh to the guards of the c-sec and you might actually walk past her because she's dressed as uh you know in maintenance or um in a c-sec uniform something like that so there's little bits where they've, they've kind of put her in where it would make complete sense. And then obviously she did her role in uh, Mass Effect, uh, the DLC, DLC, where you think she's working for the Alliance and she's not, she's a double agent. And yeah, I just, I, I love her entire story. And then uh, right at the very end when she goes, oh, you'll, you'll miss me. And then it's like, not from this range, I won't. Bam. <laughs> yeah, I believe um, her CSEC alias was Hope Lillian. I don't know if there. Yeah. I'd have to go back to play and double check if there's any NPCs called that anywhere. Oh, um, be very clever if that was. <laughs> but yeah, so that's she's my my number. One. I thought I, her the way that they implemented her and put her. I mean, little things like the dossiers and that. It's that's a gameplay mechanic. It was it's literally there to give you the information on on a character, and yet they did a whole comic series of her going through and getting all these ready for you. So. I know, and I loved her, the, her, the dynamic between her relationship with her and Miranda. Yeah. And it was pretty cool to find out that, yeah, she reprogrammed the mechs to use the attack as cover to get the clone's body. And you're right, she did have an awful childhood. Like, I wouldn't wish that on, like, my worst enemy. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that is so clever how they, because I didn't even realize it until you mentioned it, but the whole using the mechs to later tie into that dlc that comes so long after it's just it's so it's, it's like you're right there so so many little things that tie in together perfectly because they just threw in that character she's also kai lang's ex well nobody's perfect <laughs> yeah imagine being so psychotic that kai lang couldn't even put up with you <laughs> uh, so what's your number one uh craig My number one is Tally. Omni tattoo. Omni tat. Omni two. <laughs> kind of a similar case to to Garrus, but kind of more so because I feel like Tally gives you so much about her people in the first game. About how they're traveling nomads and it's like this this kind of interesting space concept on nomads. And I don't know, she she's like 
she's so innocent in the first game and it's like the first first encounter you have with her is her trying to trying to bring this evidence to to, to someone like I, I know she, I know she's trying to bring bring the evidence to the shadow broker um I'm not entirely sure what her motivation was for bringing it to the shadow broker but I believe in some respects she thought she was doing the right thing I think it was the didn't the shadow broker offer to protect her from someone or from Saren or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I believe she knew it was important information though and she had to get it to somebody. But yeah, I mean it's like from the get-go it felt like she was she was just an innocent girl on a pilgrimage just trying to do the right thing. And then moving on into the second game way more so because of how not only how she develops through her interactions with Legion but also just, I don't know, just how she has these sort of, how you have these conversations with her and you find out so much more about her, her personal life and her, I mean, I know you learn little bits and pieces about her father in the first game, but it's like it's all enhanced in the second game because you actually get to see a bit more of how her father treated her and how, you know, he, he, was, he was so official that he it's just like he wasn't personally you know he he didn't express how much he he personally loved her and that clearly reflects in her in her insecurities and just i mean i just i love her romance as well i just think it's 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 just so sweet and i don't know i, I guess it's one of those things that's a gray area for some people because she is practically a kid in the first game but it's like in the second game, it does feel like she's grown so much, and it feels kind of like I don't know. It feels like she's a different person, so it doesn't feel quite so weird to me. And I don't know. I just I I, I think that the the one thing I really have to finish with is just how she how she changes her perspective about the Geth. If you know you settle those disputes with Legion, and you know just just that one line in Mass Effect Three where. She she responds to Legion saying, Yes, yes, you do have a soul, Legion. It's just so impactful. Do you think I, she I, would have been sorry, Tim? I was just gonna say I I, I really like Tally. Uh I, I I love the way that she's all she's in all three games. I thought that was a really good move by them. I've I've only done the romance once and it, it didn't feel right to me. I think she's too much of a little sister kind of kind of vibe from her that I get. But yeah, I, I, I should fantastic character. I was just going to say I agree with all of that, Craig. But I just want to ask you: Do you think she would have been a more interesting character if she had just been like a regular, everyday, normal Quarian and not, to use Shepard's words, a space princess? Because like it feels like in Mass Effect, like everyone in the crew is like someone important. Like Shepard's an N seven, uh, Rex. Rex's dad was used to be the leader of the Krogan. Tally's dad is one of the four admirals on the board. Um, Miranda's second in command to the elusive man. It's like no one's a normal person. <laughs> I suppose it would have been quite that much more powerful, I guess, if if she went from nothing to joining the Admiralty board. But I guess making that kind of jump, kind of, I don't know, like, it, it, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe... They, they they wanted to kind of show the progression of characters to like a major position in wherever wherever those um characters are in like military or politics or whatever. Like um show that Rex is in a position where he could eventually 
you know, uh, take the place of his father or Tally could become an admiral because I don't know, as, as amazing as like the underdog story is, I feel like it's hard to, to tell that story about companions that you don't, you know, you don't follow for the entirety, you know, because you don't see Tali when, when Shepard's dead, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. That's true. And I guess the way the story was written, she kind of had to be an admiral's daughter anyway. But, but I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, the princess thing is a little cliche, especially after, you know, Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's just it. It would have been nice to like have just seen like a couple people like, oh, I'm just some guy or whatever. Like, not everyone needs to be like. What are the odds you would get that crew together where everyone is someone in like a huge position of power? Yeah, it's, I agree with you on pretty much everything you said. It's a hell of a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, shall we draw more for Manning then? Yeah. So my number one uh, is Jack. Hey. Oh, okay. I just, as far as character arcs and developments and everything else in between, I just, I love her story. Like you were talking about how Shepard can soften Garrus or you can calm Rex down or you can warm Tally up to the idea that the Geth aren't her enemy. It's just like Jack starts off as the most violent, pissed off psycho person ever. And it takes like an enormous amount of work where you can finally like slowly chip away at like the wall she puts up until it like and she finally realizes that she can allow herself to like trust other people and to care again. It's just like so heartwarming. It feels quite right, doesn't it? That um that she would be at least to me that she would be the one to to protect the the, the squad in the Mass Effect 2 suicide, suicide mission? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I don't even consider Miranda a biotic, so I'm never, I like, I, the second she's like, I'll do it, I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> Pretty sure. I love, uh, yeah, I love their, their rivalry that they have. Oh, no, like, to me, the rivalry Jack and Miranda has is slightly better than the one Legion and Tally has, because I think Tally, I don't even consider that one really a rivalry. I mean, aside from one time when Legion tried to scan Tally's Omni tool because she was doing sending stuff to the fleet, I mean, Legion just leaves her alone and isn't even really, like, antagonistic towards her. I mean, like, Jack and Miranda are hilarious. Like, that's, that's like, the most intense catfight ever. But from for both characters, you understand why they feel that way about each other, don't you? I do. And again, I guess, like I said, too, like the ultimate for me was like, if you romance Jack and that like scene when she comes up before the suicide mission to your bedroom and then she's just like, she apologizes for running away and that maybe Shepard was right that she needed someone. And then Shepard's just like, it's all right. No more questions. And then you just like hug her and you just see like this like decades of like pain and torment come flooding out of her eyes and like her makeup gets all messy and she just holds him. It's like literally like the most wholesome thing I've seen since the steak scene in, with, with Vetra in Andromeda. The only thing I don't like about Jack is their, uh, their costume design for her. I didn't like the belts. I, was I always, I will say the deal, her DLC one with the visor and the jean, the leather jacket and the jeans. I think that looks pretty tight. Yeah. I, I once I've done it, cause you can swap it once you've done the lowest mission, then you can't, you get a second second day uh, you can swap 
the DLC ones immediately. You have to do the loyalty missions is for the loyalty or, or the loyalty costume. But all honesty, I think the DLC for the characters that get DLC armor, I think all of them have the DLCs is better than the loyalty armor. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I mean, again, she's got a fantastic character arc. Yeah, 100%. Especially in a Grissom Academy in three. Her yeah, swear jar. <laughs> her swear jar. <laughs> and then I love when Joker's like, man, I bet if we, after, a, what does he say? Like, after a week, we could afford a new Normandy or something? Well, well he said, um, if, what, what, what does she have a swear jar? Because, like, if, if she does, I guess we could, we could afford a cruiser. Yeah, it's like that. I always say the one thing that always made me depressed is after, um, like right before the suicide or not the suicide right before the attack on chrono station i think jack and miranda if they were alive should have been able to become squad mates because i mean after sanctuary like miranda has nothing to do her sister's save her dad's dead i mean so yeah so i mean what's she up to and i mean i know jack has her students but i feel like going into the the final battle she'd want to be with like the first person she's loved in like a decade. And it's always kind of disappointed me. Like Jack and Miranda fans, like those are the only two romances in the entire trilogy where if you stay with them in the third game, then Shepard goes to bed alone. And that just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Yeah. It is such a shame that like they couldn't implement more Mass Effect 2 companions into the third game as actual companions. Or just even have them in the war room as well, like how how Victus is. Yeah, precisely. Because I mean, like, and especially those two. Because, like I say, after all, after especially Miranda after Sanctuary, and like I said, I think Jack for for the big final epic battle would be willing to leave her students for that. It's just such a missed opportunity. But like you said, there was twelve. 12 companions in Mass Effect 2, and the only ones you get that carry over are Garrus and Tally, and they've been there since the first game. Yeah. But, oh, well. And now, if I may, I'd like to touch on the one thing I mentioned at the start about Jacob. And I just want to say real quick, like, Jacob, I always liked him because he's just like a bro. And his issue isn't that he's a bad character, it's an issue that he has bad writing. Like, his loyalty mission is laughably pathetic. It's like, if his loyalty mission was halfway decent, he instantly would have been, like, a hundred times better. And, and it's like, I mentioned this to Craig when we were playing SWOTOR last week or whenever it was. So I'll ask you this, Tim. Like, watch this. You wanted me to make Jacob instantly a hundred times cooler? So what if his loyalty mission was... <clears throat> so... What if at the start you found out that instead of his dad going missing for forever, you find out that the reason what happened, there was a split between him and his dad, was because when Jacob left the Alliance to join Cerberus, his dad got like super livid because he was pro-Alliance and then essentially disowned Jacob. But Jacob still did it because he felt he had to. And then that instantly makes Jacob more relatable to Shepard because then Shepard's in the same boat as him, you know, having to not necessarily liking Cerberus, but working with them because the Alliance and Council are, are incompetent and Cerberus is actually trying to help. So then you could have a, conversations like that throughout the game. And then 
eventually you find out his loyalty mission. And instead of his loyalty mission being like, LOL, my dad went off to start a space harem. What if Jacob found out, got a call or whatever, that his dad's ship actually did crash land on a toxic planet. So he wants to go save him. But then the elusive man calls and says, no, I need you to go do this. And you can pick any whatever, X, Y, and Z. But I have a Cerberus cruiser that's literally right beside where the, the ship crashed. So you go get me my thing, whatever it turned out to be, and I'll send the cruiser to rescue your dad. So then while you're doing this mission, you have to periodically talk to Jacob and help him deal with the stress of worrying about his dad while also trying to keep him focused, while also periodically getting updates from the captain of the Cerberus cruiser about how the rescue is going. And then at the end, the big final choice could be similar to Miranda's where you go, you're on the Cerberus cruiser and all the surviving crew and Jacob's dad are there. And then Jacob, you have to either convince Jacob to go talk to his dad, like you can to uh, get Miranda to talk to her sister. Or if you're like, maybe this wound is still too fresh and maybe you should leave it for now. Like, wouldn't that instantly be like a thousand times cooler? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it would be making him a lot more relatable. That's for sure. He just comes off really, and I really wouldn't, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I do like his, his loyalty mission. I think um, it is, it's, it is a really good loyalty mission. It doesn't really do anything to make him likable though, does it? No. And it is pretty laughable. I mean, like, I feel like they could have instantly come up, but they had to have been able to come up with something better than my dad started the space harem. <laughs> Sounds like a YouTube thumbnail or like a YouTube video title. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> and another thing that always bothered me about his loyalty mission was so you're telling me there that they basically, again, started a space harem and they've been there for what is it, like 14 years? But there's like no one had any kids the entire time. I know that just always struck me as odd. Yeah, I think that's just a character modeling thing, isn't it? <laughs> if Swotor can make scary children, I'm sure Bioware or Mass Effect can too. Fair enough. But I mean, I guess it is a character model thing too, because canonically Legion's seven foot three, which would make him 11 inches taller than Shepard. So, but he's still the same size as everyone. Very true. If you have any comments or questions or ideas about future episodes, please email us at thelpcast at outlook.com. This has been episode four of the Lazarus podcast. And this has been Tim. Thank you for listening. And Manny. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Take care. And also me, Craig. Would we have an honorable mention, or do you just want to keep it strictly to five? It depends on how long we've got. We're now like 20 minutes in, and we're still not started. So. Well, I'm just I'm just trying to give us something to work with for the elevator chat. <laughs> I was like, my wife was like, how are you going to be? I was like, oh, about an hour and a half. All right, no worries. <laughs> well, that's not how this usually works. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing no. wrong with having a short no. segment. I mean, we've... We, I think I'm pretty sure we've spoken for 15 minutes about one topic before. If we can get a good 15 <laughs> minutes out of a new segment, that's fine, I think. Have you found the um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be loads of news all the time, is there? Especially from Bioware. What's your Witcher 4 news? Well, I will reveal it when we start planning. It's, okay, it's going to be a surprise. But you it's can. Gonna be you, an, it's not going to be an RPG, and it's going to be like fantasy Assassin's Creed. Oh yeah. I mean, I say, I say, I say, I could surprise you, but to be fair, you could just Google Witcher Four news, and it'd probably come up. I'll, 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 I'll keep. I won't spoil myself. Okay. But that like reminds me of the time back when people weren't sure if EA was going to keep the Star Wars license. And I was like, they should give it to Ubisoft so then we can have Assassin's Creed Star Wars. I mean, like, lightsaber wrist blades. Like, how cool would that be? Okay. If you've got any questions or comments or ideas for future episodes, please do email us at blppodcast at outlook.com. LPcast. Oh. Okay. Um... Right, okay. If you have any comments or questions or ideas about future episodes, please do email us at thelpcast at outlook.com. Wasn't it's, it just LPcast? Was there a the in there? It's L, L, the, uh, the, the LPcast. Okay. The oh, okay. LPcast. So, yeah, you were yeah. right. Never mind. My bad. So I said it right, did I? Uh, I think so, yeah. What did you say? Okay. I'm just going to say it again, because it's, <laughs> it's the LP cast, right? Yeah.